is the Bully Pew podcast brought to you by Protestia.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and for giving us a little bit of your precious time. It is not lost on me nor the rest of the team at Protestia that every time that you are reading articles on Protestia or listening to this podcast or listening to watching Protestia tonight, uh, you are by definition not doing other things that are also uh, potentially important and valuable. And so we, we very much appreciate the fact that you find uh, what we're doing over here to be valuable enough to spend your time with us. We hope that we can make it uh, a good use of your time, I suppose. Um, you are driving with me, riding with me, I guess. Uh, across Metro Denver, it is a bright and sunny day, going to be in the mid-80s today, apparently, um, which is, I mean, it's, I mean, everybody says, right, everybody says about their part of the country, the weather here is just crazy. It's really hard to predict, and it's all over the place, and, and like, we think that that's unique. I'm pretty sure it isn't. I'm pretty sure everywhere that you would ever live is going to have uh, wild swings in weather and localized climate, because that's just how how it works. Um, and, and yet, um, yeah, Denver and the Colorado, the, the, the Denver metro area has a lot of sunshine uh, routinely the the main the main climate uh, you know difference between being here and being in a lot of other places is because of the because of the altitude it's very dry and actually I, I really like that generally I'm not a big fan of humidity or humid heat you know that kind of thing um, you know can get used to it the times that I've been in you know spending time in the Midwest my family's actually from Illinois so you would think that I would be a little bit more um, accustomed to or maybe even preferential towards a more humid climate but uh, since I've been here since I was two years old uh, not really I appreciate the dryness it's 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 something that uh, I look forward to getting back to anytime that I'm somewhere else um, but anyway I, I digress we want to get into the, the the topic of this podcast which um, I, I kind of was going back and forth between a couple different things I wanted to talk about with you. Uh, first of all, before we get into that, as, as you know, if you haven't done this already, go over to Protestia, subscribe to the Insurgency Email Blast. Um, I, I read it every day, and the guys do a wonderful job of, of picking out and curating things that are important to know and important to follow uh, trajectories both in politics and in in, in evangelicalism, um, really the broader world uh, from a conservative Christian perspective. What you would need to be aware of is all in the Insurgency Email Blast, three days a week for free, six days a week for seven dollars, or uh, the little secret: if you subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Protestia, and send us a message on Patreon, we will make sure you get added to the six day version uh, at no charge. So if you're doing the math, that's a dollar and five cents savings on the insurgency email uh, blast and you get the benefit of the full version the full ptvip included version of protestia tonight where we um uh, where we let you drive the content of the program you ask sincere questions we answer them and in in light of that in light of trying to answer questions and trying to be valuable to the discussion give you information give you ways of thinking about things that you might not have thought of before um, in the the broader Christian conversation I was going back and forth between either wanting to get into a discussion about uh, kinism and what that really is uh, you know is it actually racist or not uh, what are the what are the particulars what are the concerns uh, with it into a discussion of that or um, 
and and really a discussion of that because of its relationship to the current uh, Christian nationalism debate. And then I thought to myself, I think everybody's really tired about, I, I think, is really tired of talking about Christian nationalism. It's frustrating because nobody really knows what it is. And that is... You know, it's it's both intriguing and maddening at the same time. I think for those of us that are trying to desperately um, distill things down to actual doctrinal specifics, the binaries of the of of God's righteousness, of what the Bible says about a given um, topic. Um, you know, when somebody like me says, "Hey, you know, the, the morality of something may be relative." Or, or yeah, that that that's that's sinful relative to you know some some issue. We're not saying that that righteousness, that good good and evil, is in and of itself subjective. In other words, like I, it 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 is not subjective based off of my my whims, what I think it should be. But it in we have to do the work of of digging into an issue, all of the different facets of the issue to get to the binaries, to get to the, the point where we can say that's right or that's wrong, that's sin or that's, or that's not sin. Um, and of course, you know, I uh, talked about this on the last protest here tonight. There's also all sorts of things within the scope of, of human existence and human civilization and, and, you know, God's sovereign redemptive arc that in our context are um, morally neutral. And the problem, I think, in, perhaps this is, this is related to the Internet's um, uh, propensity to force us all into tribes and binaries and things. Um, but, but it seems like there is a push in a lot of these conversations to, um, to, to ascribe everything a moral binary. Everything is right and wrong. We've all heard that phrase. Um, when, when speaking about the government, the civil magistrate specifically is when this is used, that it's not, it's not if but who, I think is kind of how they say it. And what, what, what uh, folks who say that are trying to say is it's the government, the civil magistrate will, will follow a standard or worship a god. And it's not a matter of if they do that or not, but which, which god they follow, which god they serve, which standard they, they submit themselves to. And in a way that's in, 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 and they'll say that there's no neutrality. You know, you, you can't be neutral. It, it is either righteousness or it is sin. And in, in, in a way that's true, of course, but, but that's true on certain issues and other ones. It's not true. Uh, more moral binaries do not at, at our scope, at our non-sovereign, um, limited human, uh, level that we live and operate on. Um, that is not, that, that, that's not always true. You know, I'm, I'm about to stop, uh, here. I'm, and you're going to skip right over it because I'm going to edit this, uh, little blank spot out, but I'm going to stop here at a convenience store to pick up a, uh, something to drink. And there's not a moral component to which thing I pick out of that case to drink normally. I mean, yeah, if I grab a beer and start driving around with a beer, there's a moral component to that. Right. That is at that point. I'm not not being uh, submitting to the governing authorities, as is my Christian obligation. Um, but if I go to the soda, the, the the soda in the fridge, the the pop in the fridge, however you want to say it, depending on where you are regionally in the in the United States, um, me choosing Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi is not in and of itself uh, a moral decision. Um, you know, and yes, I realize we can go down the rabbit hole of saying, well, that company supports this and that and the other. I yeah, but. Um, 
that those become legalisms very, very quickly if we don't if we don't realize that there is room for uh, what the Bible describes as Christian liberty. If Christian liberty exists, if it's a real thing, and of course, biblically speaking, we know that it's a real thing, then uh, then that then there are moral neutrals that we are free to decide among. So uh, yeah, I'll be right back, and I'm back immediately by the power of non-linear editing <laughs> just chopping out my little visit to the convenience store there to get a a sparkling orange energy drink it's pretty good i don't think that the caffeine in there will kick in until uh after we're done recording uh this podcast it's probably a good thing anyway i digress so uh what were we talking about oh yes the the uh <laughs> The, the issue of there being uh, moral a- absolutes in so many things, but then things that, that are morally neutral and things that belong in the scope of an understanding of not, not only Christian liberty um, as outlined in Scripture, but even um, ontological, ontologically there is a, a moral scope we have to be aware of as Christians. And this, this relates specifically to the sovereignty of God. And the the really infinite uh, difference between the nature of God and our nature as created beings. We're, yes, we are made in the image of God, but that is that does not mean we are God. Obviously, we won't become God. Um, we won't we won't ever um, uh, really be granted with uh, any any aspects of his nature that relate to his, um, omnipotence and his omniscience. Uh, he has, um, parts of his nature that are beyond, not only beyond our understanding, um, but really beyond, you know, they're, they're beyond our reason entirely. And this relates to morality. This relates to morality in the sense that God himself created right and wrong. Uh, he determines it by his nature in his sovereign will. That's what determines on a, on an eternal sense and on a, you know, um, an overarching sense, what is right and wrong. And yet within that scope, we have a, uh, his word, um, giving us a moral standard as well of right and wrong. And they, they exist in, um, these two things exist in different in different scopes. So, I mean, a, a good example of this is, as Christians, we have an answer for uh, the immorality, the sin, the evil that we see around us in terms of its uh, in terms of its sovereign purpose. If everything is ordained for the glory of God, and the glory of God um, is by definition, by God's definition, good. It's always good. Then we have to we have to understand even even as we don't understand how it works particularly, but we have to understand that the things that um, that are meant for evil in this world, the allowance of sin, the allowance of the fall of mankind, is within the scope of goodness in terms of God's sovereign redemptive plan. Um, and and yet uh, we. The, the error of the error of kinism and I'm you know we're gonna move on to another topic actually <laughs> but you know but to, to where where we're gonna be discussing this I think in the future at some point is really talking about the 
a big part of the error of kinism is the the assumption, the the, the presupposition, if you want to say it that way, that anything that um, that we that that exists that we can't that we can't place. Uh, moral negativity onto we can't define as evil or sinful in and of itself um, we can we can uh, infuse that with righteousness with moral imperative that it's good um, so we in, a, in other words we look out of creation and we say okay we see we see components of, of human existence components of society components of uh, the created order around us and we are obliged to try to fit all of it into either it within our scope again not within the scope of God's sovereignty but within within we, we assume that because God's God sovereignly decrees everything that takes place that in a in a grand in a grand sense it all is morally righteous then we remove those things from righteousness that uh, we remove those things from righteousness that we can see from Scripture are um, definably evil, define, definably sinful, and whatever is left um, automatically becomes uh, morally righteous in within our human scope and something that we are now, uh, we have a moral imperative to advance or maintain or or basically lock in place. That's the... the, the the, the primary error, the primary moral calculus error of kinism is thinking that everything that exists that we can't specifically uh, call evil or sinful by way of scripture must therefore be good and we have a moral obligation to advance and maintain it. Um, I think, you know, those of you that have probably looked at the issue, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, but that that is a, a primary failure of kinism as a honestly a relatively small and narrow um, theological belief generally within reform circles honestly um, and and I mean I'll explain as we get into it later why we've, we're finding this error why we're finding this particular uh, sort of and, and I would argue in many ways a novel um, interpretation of uh, scripture and a novel interpretation of uh, public theology, why we find this in reform circles. We'll get into that. Uh, but what, what I wanted to talk about, because uh, um, you know, we got a lot of folks that listen to the Bully Pew podcast to see what's going on um, on sort of a more personal level uh, at Protestia and specifically with myself. Um, I wanted to talk about, now that, now that the, um, uh, the last appeal has been denied... And, and first of all, if anybody's listening to this that's like, hey, you know, I don't like you, buddy. I don't like what you're going to say. Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to go, uh, you know, complain to the military about what you're going to say. Um, let Make it clear before we get into any of that topic that none of the things we're going to talk about on this podcast, rep- I mean, if it's not obvious enough for crying out loud, but none of the stuff, be- just because I uh, happen to serve in the Army National Guard, uh, none of the stuff I'm talking about is the view or representative of the military or the guard or any or or any other government agency or DoD in any way. Um, they're they're kind of asking us all to say that now. Um, I, I guess probably just honestly just to just prevent confusion um, because there, there's no actual law or code or something that requires this. 
Um, and yet I'm, I'm happy to say it to just reiterate what should be plainly evident to everybody listening. Um, I'm talking to you, Todd Wilhelm of the Wartburg watch, um, you know, and, and, and others that would want to, um, you know, censor people or shut people down based off of political disagreement or theological disagreement. So what happened? Let's, let's rewind the clock. And I am going to be writing an article about this and then also what the plans are for the future of this fight. But what, what happened was in March of 2022, um, uh, J.D. Hall and, and myself, were we, we recorded and published a uh, podcast uh, called Yellow Julie. And I called it that, you know, because I always named the podcast. I called it Yellow Julie to insinuate that Julie Royce is a yellow journalist because I was going, we were going to criticize and attack her journalism, especially um, as it relates to John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. I mean, those of you that read protests, you have seen this stuff. Um, but in that podcast, you know, the topic veered to, uh, you know, politics and other things. And, and you know, we, we, we both said, uh, uh, you know, things that depending on your opinion on the matter, you might be offended by. It doesn't bother us. That's, you know, which we, we take the, our first amendment right to free speech and free expression and it's corollary, uh, freedom of religion very seriously. The freedom of conscience is, 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 is an essential part of, uh, what we believe the Bible teaches about mankind. Um, but in the, in the scope of this podcast in the scope of what, uh, we were talking about, um, we both had made comments about Kamala Harris. I said she was stupid. I said she was stupid multiple times. Uh, we made fun of Kyle J. Howard as we were, you know, known to do. Um, speaking of it, like, I don't know where that guy's gone. Honestly, it's not that we, it's not that we need him to be out there saying dumb racist stuff, you know, in order for us to have content for Protestia, but he's disappeared as far as I can tell, or, you know, after his sort of disgraceful, you know, what seemed like trying to strong arm, some sort of, uh, advocacy group, uh, for money. And then, and then, you know, disappearing off Twitter, at least his main Twitter account. I haven't seen anything from him. Um, you know, Twitter's a better place, obviously without his racism there, but, but I digress. Uh, we, you know, we made fun of Kyle J. Howard. I mean, I said racial twama, you know, I, I made fun of his, uh, it is a speech impediment. Let's be clear. It's not a transracial accent. I don't really care what he says. That's not what it is. Um, again, I, and, and, you know, I'm open to the fact that I'm possibly wrong about that, but it's my opinion. And I'm free to say it because this is the United States of America. Um, and I also said, and, and get, I mean, and, and get this, I, I realize everybody's going to be horribly offended, horribly offended when I say what I'm about to say. Uh, but he's, I, I said in the course of the conversation that I didn't see the evidence. I didn't see evidence in, in everything that I had read and looked at and studied. I didn't see the evidence that George Floyd was targeted, that whatever happened to him, however the police treated him, I didn't see the evidence that it was because of his race. In other words, I didn't see that, oh, they saw, oh, you know, hey, there's a black guy here, and hey, if this was a white guy, we wouldn't do this, but since he's black, we're going to, um, you know, hold him down this way and control him this way and, you know, uh, you know put, our, put our knee on his uh, shoulder and or neck or, you know, whatever you want to say happened. Um, I said in the course of the podcast that I didn't see the evidence that he was targeted because of his race. So in the course of... Uh, you know, people disagreeing with us, disagreeing with me on Julie Roy's uh, and her her bad journalism, her activist journalism that she tries to claim is somehow not activist journalism, even though we all know it is. 
uh, you know, certain people uh, apparently disagreed with that so much that they decided that they wanted to uh, get me fired from my job uh, in the military, get me in trouble uh, in the military, uh, take take money out of my pocket, food out of my children's mouth, um, because because they disagreed with my views on this. And that person, at least in terms of what happened here, was none other than Todd Wilhelm, who writes for the Wartburg Watch. So Todd Wilhelm, after after JD and I uh, um, put out this podcast, and we're talking about these things, Todd Wilhelm writes a big long article attacking JD and me over at the Wartburg Watch, and you know, something like, you know, who 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 are you going to listen to, Julie Roy's or David Morrill and JD Hall, something like this, right? He puts this article up. This is March of 2022, and then uh, sends an email to the public affairs of the Colorado National Guard sends an email to public affairs of the National Guard complaining about things that I've said and citing UCMJ, that's the um, Uniform Code of Military Justice, saying that in his opinion, I violated military law because I've said, because, and and the the three things he quoted were me calling Kamala Harris stupid, me saying I didn't see the evidence that Floyd was targeted because of his race, and making fun of Kyle J. Howard's speech impediment, that those things were violations of military law. And, and his reasoning for that, or why he said that uh, uh, that, that was the case, was the, the, the UCMJ, and there are a couple components here, so I'm, I'm going to try not to get too deep into it, but the Uniform Code of Military Justice has uh, code, has laws against uh, what they call conduct becoming a, an officer and a gentleman, which is it's relatively subjective. It tends to be, um, you know, sort of an, o- an open definition depending on circumstances. And, um, and there's a, there are codes against, um, being critical of is saying disparaging things against certain, like the president of the United States or the vice president, or, uh, I think even Congress, there's certain, certain officials where as, as a, uh, as an officer, you're not allowed to speak disparagingly of these people. Now, again, that's, that's, there's, there's some subjectivity there. Because what is disparaging? Well, that has to be that has to be determined in order to properly adjudicate the statute. Um, but you know, Todd, Todd got in. First of all, I mean, before we even talk about the actual uh, legal component, I mean, think about the the just you know sinful attitude that one has to have to say, hey, I'm a I'm a writer. I use my First Amendment rights to uh, make claims about things and attack people. I mean, you know, he spent a whole article attacking J.D. Hall and myself using his First Amendment rights and then turn around and say, but I don't think that military service members should have First Amendment rights. I think because they've because they've sworn to uphold the Constitution, they no longer benefit from the Constitution. I mean, think about how offensive that really is. Um, but even beyond that, uh, Todd Wilhelm apparently doesn't doesn't understand that the National Guard members, unless they're federally activated under Title Ten of the U.S. Code, are not subject to the UCMJ. So none of the stuff he was talking about even applied to me. And yet, he 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 said, well, under my opinion, you know, Morrill has violated these things because he said stuff that I was offended by. Therefore, he's he's uh, guilty of. Uh, you know, conduct unbecoming. Oh, and he criticized the vice president and, and, hey, there's a law against officers doing that. Now, number one, I'm not an officer. I'm enlisted. I've been enlisted my whole entire time. I've never, never been a commissioned officer, so doesn't apply to me on that basis. But more than that, um, 
National Guards uh, operate under their their state military code when they're not federally activated, which is almost all the time. Um, and beyond that, I wasn't on duty at all. Wasn't on duty. Was not in uniform. Was not being paid by the military. I was a civilian in civilian clothes and very much a civilian context. And yet, and, and yet Todd's assertion was, well, you know, he, uh, J.D. Hall mentioned that he was in the military, thanked him for his service. And David confirmed that he was an E-7, which like, okay, dude, I, I confirmed I was an E-7. You know that's not an officer if you know anything about the military, which clearly you don't. So he complains, you know, he, he complains thinking that, well, David shouldn't have the right to speak because he's in the military. I'm going to try to harm him. I'm going to try to destroy his military career. I'm going to try to, um, again, harm his family. Um, by, by, because the military will punish you by taking away pay, you know, demoting you, um, fining you potentially. I mean, whatever there's, there, there's all sorts of punishments available within the military context. And Todd apparently thought, Hey, what David said about, um, George Floyd and, you know, calling, calling Kamala Harris stupid, uh, was so offensive, so offensive that, that I think that, uh, he should be, um, punished. You know, his family should pay the price for this. He should pay the price for this. Okay, so that that's awful. But set that aside for a second. He complains, and the the military uh, leadership that is looking at this complaint um, decides apparently that uh, Colorado military code, subjectively applied, um, outweighs the Constitution of the United States. Now they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong about this, but this is what happens. And, you know, without, without digging too far into it, um, they decided to, they decided to punish me a minor punishment. I mean, in, in the grand, in grand scheme of things, a minor punishment, but basically issue a memo. Part of this punishment was issuing a memo that basically implied that I'm a racist because of the things I said about George Floyd. It also said, well, I was in trouble for calling Kamala Harris stupid, even though, um, she's not protect. The vice president is not protected under, um, Colorado military code as someone that you can't disparage or whatever. She's not, she's not, the vice president's not on the list. And yeah, the, yeah, the, the punishing memo claimed that the vice president was uh, a high-ranking member of our chain of command. Now, is I'll, I'll, I'll ask uh, those of you that know anything about the uh, United States military or the government, is the vice president part of the military chain of command? Well, no, they're not. The vice president is not in the military chain of command. And yes, if the president is incapacitated or something and, and the vice president begins to act as the president, that changes things. But under the normal order of things, no, the, the vice president is not is not within the military chain of command any more than a senator is in the military chain of command. Um, but so I, now I have this memo basically insinuating that I'm a racist. I have a demotion, which they suspended. They said, okay, you're demoted one rank, but if you keep your nose clean for six months, uh, you you won't actually be demoted. Now I have my theories about why they did it this way, but we'll set those to the side for a second. Um, and so, but I mean, I appealed, I, I presented a very clear constitutional case, which included all sorts of, um, case law and opinions from the United States uh, Military Court of Appeals, um, talking about exactly these kinds of cases that very clearly demonstrated that they should not be punishing me for, they shouldn't be punishing me for what I said, even if it was in the military, even, even if I was on duty, because the speech didn't relate to the military context and the military environment. Um, but even beyond that, it's like the speech didn't relate to the military context or environment. And I wasn't even on duty, wasn't on duty. 
so there's there's a lack of jurisdiction at play here, and yet I I I I think that that uh, especially in in reserve component land in National Guard land and and you know maybe Army Reserve land there's a lot of this stuff that goes on where commanders just sort of subjectively apply um, and 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 punish soldiers and military members under these laws uh, with no. Um, no understanding of the supremacy of the Constitution and that, that any law that we are uh, trying to apply in this country must be constitutional. The Constitution overrules, overrules all of these other laws, including military code. Military code doesn't exist apart from the Constitution, right? And, and, and yet they, they're doing this anyway. And I, and yeah, I mean, I, I have my theories about other issues that, you know, my, 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 uh, religious exemption request for the vaccine might be related. I haven't seen any direct evidence of that. So I, I, I wouldn't say that I know that for sure, but you know, there, there are other possibilities as to why they so badly bungled, so badly applied the laws of the country, the, the, the constitution that we all swore to uphold there, there may be other reasons, but let's just say it's just ignorance. It's just hey, you don't understand how the constitution actually relates to other, uh, laws. Um, I, you know, I, we went through the process. I appealed, they denied the appeal. That's where we're sitting right now. That's where we're sitting right now with this, the, the denial of this appeal. But what we have, what we have is a, a punishment, a punishment that, that, that honestly caused a lot of harm, uh, to my, my, my professional reputation, a lot of emotional turmoil for my family. I mean, where do you go to get your reputation back after when you have a, a, a flawless military career, flawless, impeccable military career. And now you have a senior commander basically insinuating in a memo that you're a racist and that they can't trust you to not be a racist when you're executing your military job, where do you go to, where do you go to fix that? Well, we go to the courts. We go, we go to get, to get justice. And that is the, the process that, that is the next step in this is, uh, we, we will be, I will be specifically suing military leadership in federal court, um, for violating my civil rights, um, for punishing me based off of, um, exercising free speech. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, so, I mean, pray for me as we go through that process, because the goal here is to, is to, uh, secure a court ruling that, um, not only clarifies for ignorant, uh, military commanders, what their limitations are pursuant to the constitution, um, but also the jurisdictional limitations with, with regard to reserve component service members who are not on duty. They basically acted under, and this was told to me at the hearing where they decided that they were going to punish me for this. I was basically told by a, by, um, a high ranking soldier there. I don't want to name names because that's not the point. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast. Um, I'm not assuming that they're that they're bad actors or, or that they're acting in bad faith, but that they just don't know any better. And so that's the process that we want to go through at this point. But I was told by a high-ranking military official during this process that uh, that when you um, are that that when you are enlisted in the National Guard, you are a soldier 24/7 all the time, which is not true. Legally speaking, that's not even close to true. 
not even close to true. In fact, um, uh, the judicial doctrine and, and military code related to these matters very clearly um, places reserve component soldiers under the legal jurisdiction of local law enforcement and police and, and, and whatnot when they're not on duty. And then when they are on duty, when they're actually on duty, then they move under the jurisdiction, um, the legal jurisdiction of the, the military command, which obviously makes perfect sense. It doesn't make any sense that uh, we would somehow, legally speaking, be soldiers 24-7 even when we're not on duty. I mean, like, like if I'm not on duty and I, if I'm on duty, if I'm on duty and I twist my ankle or I hurt myself or something, um, that's what they call an LOD, a, a line of duty uh, uh, injury, and the military is responsible for, for taking care of me when that happens. But if I twist my ankle at home when I'm not on duty, guess what? I got to go to the doctor and use my, my, my insurance that I paid for and get that taken care of. Um, it, that is not, I can't, I don't, I don't turn around to the military command and say, Hey, I've, I've hurt my ankle. Um, you know, pay for my doctor visit or provide me a doctor or send, send a medic out here to fix me. That's, that's not the way that it works, you know, logically, very clearly. And yet this was the, the mistaken impression that these, that these uh, military leaders are under. And so the goal is to secure a court ruling that makes this distinction clear because what I'm afraid of, I mean, I, I like, I've been in the military for a long time, uh, you know, 22 years. Um, like in, in, mil, in, in military terms, I'm old, like I'm, I'm an old fart in the military. Um, but what I'm afraid of is that there are a lot of younger soldiers, you know, uh, a, a, a private first class or something like that, you know, E2, E3, that kind of level in the military that, uh, are, you know, uh, using their free speech in the civilian context on social media platform or whatever it is to voice, you know, just like mine were, voice standard political views. You might not agree with them. You might even think they're offensive, but they're, they're tip, it's typical political expression we're talking about here, a typical um, free speech opinion, very clearly protected by the Constitution, that they're, that they're doing this and they're, and they're, um, they're being punished by military commanders who have de- who determined that the content of their speech doesn't align with the current uh, woke ethos that unfortunately dominates much of the the public culture at this point, and either because they're afraid of getting in trouble themselves, because they want, or because they want to uh, um, exact um, uh, retribution or or. Um, you know, punishment on somebody that they disagree with, or quite possibly because they want to be able to turn around on their evaluations and see, see, look, I'm taking this, I'm taking, uh, um, you know, stopping this bad stuff seriously. They're, in other words, they're trying to make themselves look good by throwing younger soldiers under the bus. I'm afraid a lot of this is probably going on. And younger soldiers, ones that don't have a retirement letter, haven't been around a long time, um, they don't have access necessarily to the public forum that I have are getting railroaded by this stuff. They can't afford to fight. Um, if you're a younger soldier and something like this comes across, you know, you're, you're about to get punished for something. Um, you, you know, you're afraid. You're like, I, I, maybe I have a, I have a wife. I got a young child. I can't afford to, to, to be demoted. I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do to, to not, uh, uh, risk being punished and um, harming, allowing my family to come to harm. Now, what is that? Well, that's a that's a, a constitutional violation. That's a violation of their civil rights, and that's exactly what happened to me. But the problem is, I'm an old curmudgeon as far as the military goes, and I know my rights, and I know the nature and application of the Constitution that I swore to uphold, and that's what I'm going to do. And 
that's you know we, we swear as military members to to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now I'm not saying that military commanders who are who have gotten this so wrong are enemies, but we must defend the as as military service members we defend the Constitution. Um, in and of itself, and when people get it wrong and they screw it up and they violate it um, in in practice and principle, as has been done, we have an obligation to stand up to the, to the extent we're able to um, to stand up and, and defend it, and that's what we're going to do. Um, the, the, it is notable, by the way, in my case, very very important to the case. Although I I, I, I suspect that there's constitutional violation either way. But the investigation and the punishment was not based off of um, the context of my military service in and of itself. It wasn't like you said some stuff that ordinarily we wouldn't have any problem with, but because you were in the military or because you're in uniform or because you're on duty or whatever, um, you're not allowed to say it, therefore you're in trouble. They took issue with the content of what I said. Um, and, and we know this because the investigation document noted, hey, he put a disclaimer on this. And yet, because we found what he said to be against our views or against uh, what we have determined to be acceptable viewpoints, we are going to punish him. That is a, that is an, a, a particularly egregious form of, um, of, of uh, free speech discrimination called viewpoint discrimination. In other words, like when it comes to free speech, the application of, of free speech and, and whatever restrictions may or may not be appropriate, there are components of uh, context and there are components of content. And um, generally speaking, a, a violation of somebody's civil liberties is much, much clearer to demonstrate when the discrimination is very clearly based off of what they said, not where they said it or, you know, you know. here's a, a good example of this would be if, if the military or, or a local command determines, hey, we're not going to talk politics while we're on duty. It, and it's anybody from any viewpoint, we're, we're like, we're not going to talk politics and religion on duty. And there are a lot of units that do this kind of thing. I actually think generally it's not a bad idea. I mean, I, I, I would like to hope that, that service members can be adult about it and agree to disagree and still be unified on the job. But, but I understand those things get contentious. And so, so if a military command or a military unit says, we're not going to be talking about politics or religion on duty, and, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative, liberal, somewhere in the middle, um, whatever religion you belong to, those things won't be discussed. And then you go ahead and you discuss them anyway. On the surface, that's, that's like, hey, that's a, that's, a, you know, that, that's a violation of the First Amendment. I have free speech rights um, as, a, as a citizen of the United States. And yet it would be hard for me, more difficult for me to prove that they've somehow violated my constitutional liberties because it's not a blanket restriction on my speech and it's, it's not a content-based restriction on my speech. It's a context restriction. That, that would be much easier for military commanders to say this in, and, and come up with a point like, hey, here's why we're doing this. And we're not... We're not um, we're, we're not picking on one person because, and, and yet allowing other viewpoints to go forward. It's like all viewpoints within this context are, um, not to be talked about in, you know, while we're on duty, whatever, but that's not what they did with me. In fact, the context question had to be off the table because I wasn't on duty. 
and I wasn't in uniform, and I'm very clearly not representing myself as as um, as forwarding the viewpoints or opinions of the military or the DOD or the government or something like that. Very clearly speaking as myself, as a private citizen, as, as a citizen of the United States with constitutional liberties to express their viewpoints as they see fit. You know, again, what I said ordinarily... There's no dispute that what I said is protected speech under the Constitution of the United States. A, a government taking action against me based off of um, me speaking or even the content of that speech is an egregious violation of my constitutional liberties. And nobody would even disagree with that. What they, the, the first thing that, they, that, that started was, and, and the reason why this even became a thing, to begin with was this idea that, well, because he serves uh, in the National Guard, even though he, he wasn't on duty when this happened, he somehow is subject to our um, jurisdiction, our judicial jurisdiction at all times, 24-7, on or off duty, in or out of the military context. He belongs to us. And that simply isn't true legally. It's not, it doesn't even make sense. Um, but when once once uh, the disclaimer was there saying, hey, this doesn't represent the military, this is my personal opinions, then the the angle shifted to we don't like what he said. We don't like what he said. If 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 I had gone on that podcast night and instead of saying Kamala Harris is so, so stupid, if I had said she is so, so smart, I can't believe how smart she is. You know, she's wonderful. She's this. She's that. I would not have been punished. Right. So that reveals to us that the punishment is based off of the their disagreement with my viewpoint. Now, if, if it had been obscene or something like that, if, it, if I if I had said, uh, you know, Kamala Harris is bleepity bleepity bleep bleep bleep. And, and I said all sorts of really, um, really uh, of like like tacky and offensive. And I mean, you know, whatever, you know, uh, you know, if I had made comments about. Uh, you know, her, her, her race or her, her, uh, you know, ethnicity, gender, whatever, we might have more of a point. Now we're in the realm of, of obscenity, of obscenity, but me saying that she's stupid versus saying that she's smart is very much a subjective, open-ended opinion. And Americans say politicians are stupid all the time, all the time. This is common in this country. In fact, it, it is it is a um, this the open and public conversation and dissent, even to the point of offending one another, is part of uh, what we protect with the Constitution. All military members swear to uphold this con- the Constitution that it calls on us all to be mature adults and um, and keep uh, um, offensiveness, us being personally offended in a different category from we're going to harm you legally. We're going to take legal action against you. Um, and so they, 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 they basically said, Hey, look, we don't like your opinion on this. We don't like that. It's not that you said it again, because if I'd said, Hey, she's wonderful. And if I'd said George Floyd was totally, totally targeted because he was black and this was totally racist and worst thing I've ever, you know, heard. And, and, and if I had said, Hey, you know, if I, if I had made sure not to say racial trauma when talking about Kyle J Howard and just say racial trauma. And by the way, Wilhelm in his little email lied, he lied by in, in mischaracterized. He lied and said that I said that George Floyd's murder wasn't racist, which I didn't say. And he, he also said that, uh, he, he made mention of, well, Kyle J Howard is a black man. 
first of all, he's Kyle J. Howard is half black. Half black and half white, as far as I know, but I made no mention of Kyle J. Howard's, uh, um, you know, racial background, his 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 racial makeup. I, I frankly, I don't care. That's not really that important in terms of our criticism of him. Um, but I mean, so Wilhelm lies about this. But again, if I had said Kamala Harris is wonderful and super smart and, and awesome, and and Floyd was targeted because of these racist cops, you know, these these cops were racist and they went after him because he was black. And, um, and I said racial trauma instead of trauma, um, I wouldn't have been punished at all. Even if this was brought to their attention, if someone had complained, if someone had complained to the, the Colorado national guard and said, Hey, uh, um, this guy, David Morrill, who identified himself as a service member, even though I didn't directly, I just answered a question before we moved on to the actual purpose of the podcast. If, if an email had been sent to them and said, Hey, David Morrill's talking about politics, He's talking about politics. He said, you know, he he represented himself as a service member and then said Kamala Harris was wonderful, that George Floyd was was racially targeted because the cops are racist. Um, and they had said that, um, that that would have been the end of the process. I would not have been punished. I would not have been investigated. Whoever received that email would have been like, whoop-de-doo, I agree with that stuff. Whoop-de-doo, that's, that's, that's the commonly held... Um, the favorable political opinions about these things to us, you know, um, and, and it would have gone no further, but the fact that it went further, the fact that I was punished, the fact that I now have a memo insinuating that I'm a racist and, you know, you know, basically, basically saying it more or less. Um, and, and we'll, I mean, we'll discuss this later, um, is a, in a violation, a grievous violation of my constitutional liberty to express uh, my views as, as an American citizen. And so because of this, and because I, I have a deep concern that this kind of constitutional violation goes on willy-nilly all over the military, and, and, and in both directions, I might add, in both directions, um, because because we have uh, because I have this concern, we're going to have to go to the federal court to work this out. Um, a violation of constitutional liberties is within the scope and jurisdiction of the federal court system. And how do I know that? Well, because first of all, I'm you know, that's what they exist for. But second of all, a couple of years ago, there was another Colorado Guard uh, service member, National Guard service member, with a similar but different set of circumstances. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, um, Alan Kennedy, who a very liberal guy, by the way, very much on the opposite end of the political spectrum as far as his his uh, political convictions and beliefs, um, a couple of years ago was punished by the Colorado National Guard because he uh, he participated in a Black Lives Matter rally in downtown Denver, um, and and was punished under a, a, a DOD instruction, a Department of Defense instruction that says that you're not supposed to participate in demonstrations where violence is likely to occur, as if somehow you could know that, that violence is likely to occur. I mean, violence, you know, it, you might think, oh, violence is not likely to occur, and it occurs anyway, and now apparently you're in trouble. And that was the nature of Kennedy's case. Now, obviously, I don't support Black Lives Matter, nor Alan Kennedy's political positions on probably anything, but I do support his freedom of association and, and freedom of speech to protest. He's allowed to do that. He, that's, he's protected by the Constitution of the United States. Um, he wasn't in uniform, wasn't on duty, personal time, acting as a, as a, as a you know, under, under the jurisdiction of his uh, civilian existence, his citizen existence. 
um, and yet they punished him anyway. He wrote about it, like, why are they punishing me for this? He got in trouble for that as well. Big, long string of things. It took forever to get through all of these things. At the end of it, and his case was taken, by the way, by the federal court in in, um, the the federal uh, district court here in Denver, they took jurisdiction over this. They said, yeah, there's the constitutional implications. We have jurisdiction to adjudicate this uh, this civil lawsuit that Alan Kennedy f- filed. He filed a lawsuit against the Colorado National Guard for punishing him for his for exercising its constitutional liberties. Um, and by the time that uh, it was getting to the end of the ruling and and, and uh, you know, motions are going back and forth, and and uh, you know the process is going back and forth. Uh, you know, amended complaints, you, you name it. Um, by the time that got near the end, uh, the army, you know, big army, had basically uh, told the Colorado National Guard, you know, all of this, all of your punishing of him, your your general, uh, you know, order of reprimand, what they call a gomar, which for an officer is like a death sentence as far as their career goes. That all that stuff was invalid. They had to get rid of all of it. They got rid of all all, all of the punitive stuff that was done against him was was taken away. And then Kennedy moved to like Virginia or something and, and transferred to the, the, the Army Reserve. And so the federal court said, okay, now he's not actively being harmed by this. His career, basically, his career has been put back where it was supposed to be before all of this started. Um, and therefore, we, uh, we're, we're dismissing his complaint because it's now moot. He's not actively being harmed by this. Um, but but in, their, in their commentary, in their ruling, very clearly understanding that Kennedy's case was very clear. You can't violate the constitutional liberties of soldiers just because you disagree with their speech. You know, and especially out of context of the military environment whatsoever. Kennedy's Kennedy's BLM uh, protest participation was not in any way related to his service in the National Guard, nor was my podcast in any way related to my service in the National Guard, merely because I was identified as a service member. Um so I know that the federal court has taken jurisdiction over this, but what, what, what I've also found out is that the Colorado National Guard, this military leadership structure, didn't learn a darn thing from Kennedy. They didn't learn a darn thing. I mean, they, they have the ruling, they have the dismissal, and very clearly the court signaling, yeah, we would have sided with him, but the issues are moot now because he's not in the Colorado Guard anymore. Um, they have all this information, and yet they, they still think that this is what they're supposed to do. And so, okay, fine, we're going to go back, we're going to work this out again, we're going to go back to the federal court system, who has the jurisdiction to adjudicate constitutional issues, and we're going to have this legal fight. Because what, what has become apparent to me, sadly, is that we have a, a good number of military, military members in leadership positions who have sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States that do not believe in the moral necessity of the Constitution of the United States. It's just a box they check, apparently. They don't actually read it. They don't actually think that it applies. They think that they think that their service and their existence as service members exist somehow outside of the bounds of the supreme law of the land, which is the United States Constitution. And so, fine, we, we need to correct that, apparently. I'm, I'm not prepared to say that that's in, in any way um, an act of malice at this point, although frankly, if you read the investigation documents and you read the communications back and forth and all of the opportunities that I gave them to understand the constitutional nature and implications of this issue and the, the, the almost, almost uh, purposeful 
ignorance on the matter, it's it's hard not to arrive at. I mean, these are lawyers, right? Military lawyers who can't figure this out. It's hard to arrive at anything other than there's malice involved. There's there's a personal animus involved. There's retaliation involved. I don't have direct evidence of that, so I'm not saying that that's what it is. But for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, these are lawyers that are supposed to understand American jurisprudence, and which starts and is founded by and informed by the Constitution of the United States. And like you're failing Constitution 101 when you say, I disagree with what you said, therefore here comes government punishment. And all oh, I can do that because I can subjectively apply military law that says, hey, if they do anything that discredits the service, uh, that's against the law. Okay, well, what does, you, you can't simultaneously say that exercising constitutional liberty in a military neutral manner, apart from the military context, is, is bringing discredit on the military because you disagree with what somebody says. A, a blatant violation of the, the nature and application of the United States Constitution. And that's where, we're, that's where we are right now. Um, and I'm, I'm in the process of um, um, seeking and, and looking to find uh, legal representation that has uh, experience litigating these kinds of things. But quite frankly, um, my constitutional case here is so rock solid, so blatantly clear that if I don't find legal representation that wants to, wants to go down this path with me and help me, um, I will bring the lawsuit myself. I will sue on my own behalf and I will adjudicate it myself and I will follow the procedures because you can find out, you know, it's, it's laid out very clear how to, um, uh, interact and work in a civil lawsuit in federal court. Very clear. Um, it's not rocket science. Um, and I'm willing to do the work because the constitution is important. And because I believe in securing the, the constitutional liberties of service members, Service members do not lose their constitutional rights when they swear to uphold the Constitution. Yes, there, there is a military context that can change things um, um, in context. You know, for instance, uh, you know, free speech is generally by our laws limited. Um, dangerous speech is limited by our laws. Uh, dangerous speech being things that bring people into imminent danger like yelling fire in a crowded theater. Um, obscenity generally can be controlled um, um, you know, by a society as well. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, like threats and things like that. These, these are generally not protected under the first amendment for, for a variety of reasons that relate to people's individual liberty being violated by, by that speech. But generally speaking, free speech is very broad. Um, you know, you don't have the right in free speech to lie about somebody, right? We have defamation and, and libel and slander, uh, laws that relate to that. Um, the military context adds, uh, context to dangerous speech. It does. Like for instance, um, if I'm in, in uniform or even out of uniform, I would argue in this case. And I, and I say, Hey, uh, you know, I'm in the national guard. And I think that anybody who's about to, you know, who's gotten activated and is about to be deployed to Afghanistan should go AWOL or something like that. Um, that's not protected speech. That's dangerous speech. That's, that is, a um, violating the, the chain of command, um, that is not, you know, and, and I would be rightly punished for that. Now, why would I be, would I be punished for that if I was a civilian? No, like, like if I was not in the military, no relationship to the military, I could say that all day long and I can't be punished for it. 
free speech. But because it has a palpable and direct connection to the military or military environment by way of my, my military service, that's, that's where it becomes punishable under military law. The, the United States Military Court of Appeals has made this clear that there is a test, that there is a test in order to apply general, um, you know, he did service discrediting stuff to apply those laws to free speech because free speech is protected on the Constitution, we got to be real careful. It's got to be very narrow. If we're going to punish people for, punish service members for doing what ordinarily would be protected by the Constitution, we have to, we have to follow a standard and a test. And that standard and test is the relationship between the speech and the military environment or context. Not, not, necess- not, not the person's affiliation in the military. That doesn't automatically make speech uh, pertinent to the military context. A- again, it's direct and palpable. So the content of the speech is what matters. Does the content of the speech relate to the military, implicate the military? Have, are we discussing military things? That's, that's what's important. And in fact, a lot of these disclaimers... You know, when, when, when they say, hey, you know, like, like, for instance, the Colorado National Guard has in, currently an instruction from our, our adjutant general that says that uh, all speech and, and like, I, I don't see how this is quite like even feasible, but basically that speech and, and public appearances and things that we do that are out in the open should, if, if our military affiliation is known, I guess, or is part of it in any way, we should be putting disclaimers on it saying, hey, this, what I'm about to say here, this that does not represent the DOD, does not re- represent the Army, does not represent the Colorado National Guard. And the reason that that makes sense is because we want to we we make it clear that we want to disconnect the speech from the military environment, potential military environment or context. That may, may make sense. Now, by by the court of appeals standard, it's the content, it's the speech itself that that establishes the military connection, not the speaker. So it's not the fact that I'm in that I serve in the National Guard does not automatically make everything that I say publicly related to the military. This is common sense. Um, but even that, that requirement for a, for a disclaimer is based off of, uh, federal code that requires, legally requires that disclaimer in some cases. Well, what are those cases? Those are, they're, they're cases where a military service member, <coughs> excuse me, a military service member is speaking on something that has direct military relationship. And that's why you put the the disclaimer in there because it would be easy to confuse. Like if I'm if I'm as a military service member making a a presentation about missile technology, or um, uh, you know the 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 latest um, you know con, DoD contract with you know Boeing or whatever it is, and like. I'm in uniform and I'm very clearly, you know, Sergeant First Class Moral. And, and they, the law requires me to offer that disclaimer so there's no confusion into thinking that I'm speaking on behalf of the military. I'm not an official spokesperson. I mean, there are times when I might speak and I am an official spokesperson. That's true. And in that case, I'm required to uh, forward and, and promote and advocate for the official position of my organization. But if I'm speaking on my own authority, if I'm speaking on my, my own opinion, my own views, uh, my own framework, and it's not, um, 
it's not necessarily the official position of the DOD or the military. I, I offer that disclaimer so that there's no confusion. That's what the law requires. That, that doesn't apply by the, le- by the letter of the, the, the cited code here. It doesn't apply to every single thing any service member ever says that anybody ever hears. It's not the, not the, not the purpose of it. And why am, why am I bringing this up? Because, again, we go back to the connection is between the speech and the military context, not the speaker and the military context. And which was the first, the first angle that they use in order to initiate an investigation against me was, well, he, he was identifiable as a military member. Therefore, everything he says now in this uh, civilian you know, uh, religious and political podcast is subject to our jurisdiction and our application of whether what he said was, was discrediting or offensive, which is that that's not legal. That's not the law. That's not how it's supposed to work very clearly. Uh, if we actually examine the Nate, the relationship between free speech and the military, it is about context, not it is about context. It's about whether you can establish a connection between the speech and the military environment. The speech, not the speaker, again. Now, in my case, it, it was even worse than that. Because once, the, once, once they determined that the connection between the speaker and the military was enough, rather than the speech, again, not applying uh, any of the actual case law or application of any of the statutes here, but just sort of willy-nilly determining to do whatever they wanted to do. Once they once they initiated the investigation, the adjudication of the issue was on the content of what I said. And again, not that that content had any relationship with the military context or environment. It didn't. Even, even the comments about Kamala Harris, she's not in the chain of command. <clears throat> she's a politician, not in the chain of command, does not have any sort of special protection against disparagement in Colorado military code. Um, but then they decided that the punishment that would be doled out to me, including a suspended demotion and a memo basically calling me a racist in front of my family and friends and the rest of my unit and all that, um, that it was going to be because they disagreed with what I said. Not the fact that I said it, not the topic particularly, but that they just didn't like where I came down on the issue. And so now, now we're talking about viewpoint discrimination. We're talking about a, 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 very, very, very incredibly high bar for the government taking action against anybody based off this, this is the most, this is the most egregious version of uh, uh, a violation of somebody's first amendment rights to free speech is I don't like what you said, therefore you will be punished while somebody who says what I like about this issue will not be punished. That is, I mean, a, 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 an absolute, um, um, horribly offensive violation of the constitution. And that's what we have. That's what we're dealing with. And it is a, it is a clearer case than the Kennedy case from a couple of years ago, much clearer, much more straightforward. And I believe we now have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity to get this worked out in federal courts and establish a, you know, a, protection, a case law protection for other service members who might be similarly punished for having, um, and, and daring to express viewpoints in their private time, not on duty in their private time viewpoints that are disfavored by the current, um, 
by the current government preferred opinion we have an opportunity. And so that's, that's what we're going to be doing. Whether or not I have a lawyer or legal team to help me, um, I would, I would ask for your prayers as we go forward with this. Again, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying, um, in, you know, that anybody involved in this, in the, in the military level is in the military context is like a bad person. Um, I'm not saying that, that I see evidence that they're, that they're going after me personally. I, I mean, there's plenty of evidence they're going after my views because they disagree with them. That's, that's, that's clear. But, but my goal is not to put individuals on blast, except for Todd Wilhelm. I mean, that's, that's just, just inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable that you would say, um, yeah, I, I rely on First Amendment protections to voice my views, including big, long articles attacking J.D. Hall and David Morrill. But David Morrill should not have the right to do the same uh, because he serves in the military. That's just, just, I mean, there's no excuse for that. And you, he should be ashamed. Absolutely, absolutely ashamed uh, for what for what he did. Um, there, but as far as the military leadership, I'm just I, I'm really acting under the, under still, despite all that's happened, acting under the idea that they just don't know, they for whatever reason they just don't know that the Constitution supersedes um, the their subjective interpretation of military code. I don't know how they don't know that, but okay, they don't. We're you know I th- this is this is a I want this to be a good faith process where we can all uh, come out of the end um, corrected. And as defenders and supporters of the Constitution, um, have a better understanding and application of how this should work. Because I know it's challenging. You know, I, I mean, in the in the modern context, in the Internet age, um, the the lines get blurred. Uh, people get angry at one another because they disagree. Um, I mean, I, I know that all of that is a reality. And yet, as someone who has raised his right hand and sworn to uphold and defend. Um, the Constitution of the United States, that's what I'm going to do. That's the, the, the purpose of all of this. And God willing, secure um, a, a, a court ruling and a precedent for younger soldiers that are not as old, grizzled, and stubborn as me and, and you know, can't afford to fight. Because they also should not be punished um, and have their civil rights violated any more than mine were. So anyway, I appreciate uh, uh, your continued prayers. I will have an article up about this at protestia.com discussing this issue specifically, uh, really just for, for the, for the edica- edification of everybody. It's not to, to somehow put down anybody specifically, um, again, but just to, to work through exactly you know what's going on and why we're moving forward and to, to establish so that when you see this, this lawsuit wind up in federal court, you'll kind of know what it's about. Um, I have absolutely 100% nothing to hide on any of it. Um, you know, whether, whether or not you were offended by me, uh, the things that I said that they took issue with or not, that's not the issue here. The issue here is whether I had the right to say it and whether that right is something that is a, um, a moral imperative for not only for military service members, but for, for, uh, us as Americans, do we believe that freedom of conscience and expression and, and, it's, it's related, uh, uh, concepts, you know, religious liberty and religious expression are a moral obligation for us as a people. I believe they are. I've always believed they are. That's part of what, uh, really encouraged, encouraged me as I was joining the military is I believe this stuff. 
what the the what we talk about in the Constitution, the those rights, those those human liberties that are enshrined in the Constitution, are something I believe down to my very core, and and they they come from my uh, belief in the sufficiency and uh, authority of Scripture as a Christian. They, they they correlate with that. They 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 work hand in hand, and so I would be at this point, given this opportunity, I would be. I believe before God sinning to not go forward. This is an opportunity to um, reassert the righteousness of um, freedom uh, of, of si- the civil liberties that uh, are enshrined in the Constitution, and that's what we're going to do. So, um, yeah, let me know if you have any questions about anything that's going on, and, and stay tuned to Protestia for the developments and all this. Um, yeah, we have we have a we have an opportunity here, and and. and I'm looking. I'm not looking forward to the fight, but I am looking forward to seeing how the Lord works in all of this. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Bully Pew Podcast from Protestia.com. I will talk to you again next time. As always, Semper Reformanda.